0: Well, good morning. Seems like we're leaning this way today. Good to see everyone out. Thankful to be here. Thankful to be in God's house. Hope everyone had a a great week. Hopefully there weren't too many tears last night after uh, Tennessee pulled out the victory over Kentucky. Tears of joy. joy. (laughs) uh, Just so good to be here. Looking forward to the, the worship service tonight. Looking forward to some special music, hopefully. They've been working a lot over there, so looking forward to hearing some of that, too. Anyone with a special song or a testimony this morning before we go on with the service? We're just going to save them for tonight. Well, this still is weird to me, but uh, Brother Tony's going to be preaching for us this morning, so I'm going to just turn the service back over to him. I'm used to it being the other way around. But... <laughs> I like on this one. <laughs> Well, good morning to everybody. Good to be here. I expected to get some ribbing from the game last night, but then, lo and behold, David and Dale are wearing orange. I didn't, <laughs> didn't expect that. Anyway, I finally, you know, I finally was so disgusted. Neither team deserved to win the way they were playing. Horrible game, horrible game all the way around, I and mean, you can't be proud of either defense. And then I told Ryan, I said, turn it over and let's watch Alabama and watch some quality football. Can't stand this anymore. But anyway, now, just like the, the annual ride of all Kentuckians, early November, we turn our attention to the season that really matters. <laughs> Basketball kicks off Tuesday, Kentucky versus Duke. So there we go. That's, a, that's what really is important. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Go ahead and read a few verses here. Starting at the first verse of the sixth chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. So We'll stop stop right there. So I want you to think this morning about why we do what we do and, and where you're at. You know, Bob touched last week on our, what we have on the wall back there about loving God, living Jesus, learning to serve. And a lot of times I think with that learning to serve piece, we think of all the things we do in church, whether it's teaching or preaching or singing, and we think about all the activities and the, the ministries and things that we get involved in to, to help people and to spread the gospel and so forth. And all of that is absolutely important. And so I don't want you to take anything away from that. But I want to say, though, that all of the when we were first pointing those phrases and a big piece of that learning to serve to me is learning to serve God every day of my life, wherever he puts me in whatever way I can. That doesn't always mean witnessing to somebody. That doesn't always mean quoting the Bible to somebody. But it means being who God intends me to be, where he puts me, and doing what he wants me to do. You see, so that's the serve. Now, if we get that part right, all the other serving parts will take care of themselves. But we've got to get that part right first. And the reason I like this scripture so well is because in the sequence that Isaiah goes through here, we can find ourselves wherever we're at. And it's important to, as, as we go through this, I want you to kind of think about where am I in this? God saves you and calls you for a purpose. That purpose, you know, a lot, and again, when we think of purpose, we think, well, did God call me to be a missionary? Did God call me to, to preach? Did God call me to do... God might not have called you for any of those things. God might very well have called you because he needs somebody wherever you're at to get a little glimpse of him. And that might only come through you. And if you fulfill that purpose, brothers and sisters, by obeying and serving him, you have done as much as the greatest missionary that traveled the world three times around. So it's important that we understand our purpose. It's important that we understand and obey what God has called us for. It's important that we look broader than just the things in our everyday life. So I want you to think for a minute. What is the most pressing, important thing on your mind right now? Is it something at work? Is it something at school? Is it a promotion? Is it a position? Is it financial? Is it a trouble that you're going through? Whatever the worry is. Maybe it's something really good that brings you joy every time you think about it, and you're longing for it. And you think, "Man, if this just happens, I'll be absolutely happy." Well, I'm here to tell you, if that thing that's got your mind wrapped up and that level—I'll put it at this level here—if that thing that's got your mind wrapped up, if it's bad, I'll tell you what—you might you'll get through it one way or another. But you know what? Something else bad's going to come. And even if that thing at this level is something really good that you're looking forward to, something wonderful going to happen. You may get it and you may feel elation and joy, but you know what? It'll be short-lived and then there's going to be something else you want. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to be able to do is if you keep looking beyond what's my purpose, what's my point, when you get behind it all, God is behind it all, over, above, and around. And if you don't put that in context, nothing else makes any sense at all. Without Him there in that particular place. I remember, my mom asked me one time when I was in when I was playing basketball and she said, she said, Tony, do you like it when people cheer for you and chant your name? And I said, I said, yeah, I said, I I like it. I said, it's kind of nice. She said, is that the most important thing to you? I said, no. So that'll end one of these days. She said, what is the most important thing to you? And I said that I might be pleasing to God. That I might be found acceptable to Him in some way and in some form. And folks, that's what I want you to all think about this morning. I hope and pray, if that's not your goal, that you would make it your goal. That you might be found pleasing and acceptable to Him. And abused to wherever He puts you. That is the most important thing. And I wasn't just saying that because I thought that's what she wanted to hear. I said that because I knew it was true. And I'm so thankful. I had grandparents and I had a mom who constantly reminded me that no matter whatever I attained, no matter what level I ever got to, God was above, behind, and around it all. And that's what really matters doesn't matter what job you have, what role you get, whatever you are, brothers and sisters, if you are, if you are the person God wants you to be, that is the most important thing. So that's what I want you to think about as we go through this this morning. So we're talking about Isaiah and you'll notice there in the very, the, the very first, I think there's at least five or six, if I can remember to count five or six phases that we go through here in these verses. The first one starts right there at the first verse where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So that's the first phase. The king died. The king died. That's phase one. Now you'll see what I mean by that. The king dying phase here in a second. Uzziah died. Now I think it was around 740 something BC that he died Um, You can go read in 2 Chronicles, I think it's the 24th, 25th, and 26th chapters, kind of talks about his downfall and so forth. But Uzziah was a great king. This is why this is relevant. And this, again, just like I've been teaching on Sunday nights, when the Bible calls out something in a particular passage, it's there for a reason. And this is, when it talks about Uzziah dying, it's there for a reason. Uzziah became king at 16 years old. And unlike a lot of people, you would think he was forced into that at such a young age. Uzziah was actually ready for it. He was a great king for, I think, 50, almost 52 years, I believe, that he reigned over Israel. And Andy's teaching us about Solomon now and all the great things that he did, but a lot of years has passed since Solomon. And really, they, Israel had seen nothing like. Uzziah, since Saul, most of those people were, none of those people were even alive anymore. Uzziah was a great king. Like I said, you can go back in Chronicles and read about all the great things he did. They had great expansion. They had a lot. He was a great military strategist. They had victories over the Philistines. They had he was an economic genius. He had wells dug everywhere so they could feed their uh, feed their livestock and so they could water their fields. He increased trade with everybody around them. Uh, Israel once again became an economic power and everything was wonderful. And you see, it was it brought great security for them. So the people in Israel, you know what? They they looked at Uzziah and they admired him and they said, you know what? As long as Uzziah is up there as king, we don't have anything to worry about. Everything is just fine. Folks, that's the question number one you need to ask yourself. Who and what is your king? Where is your security coming from? What matters to you? What gives you a sense of well-being? Is it money that you got in the bank? Is it tenure in your years on the job? Is it an insurance policy? What is it? I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it can all go away like that. Your security needs to be in God. And nothing else. Because everything else can go away very, very quickly. Now you can read in 2 Chronicles. Pride led to his downfall. He got to the point where instead of the priest, he went ahead and went into the, into light the altar, to light the incense on the altars. They tried to tell him that's only for the priest that's been, that's been sanctified. You're not supposed to do that. And he's got like I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. Brothers and sisters, that's what happens to every single one of us. When we quit seeking God, when we forget what our purpose is, when we forget there's a God on the throne who who rules and overrules, then we start doing what we want to do. And we think we're able to do what we want to do. We become our own king, we make our own decisions, and we get in trouble every single time. You know what happened to him? In one moment of silly, stupid rebellion, doing something he knew he shouldn't have done, he was struck with leprosy. And he ended up dying an outcast. So in one brief moment, brothers and sisters, that's why it's important that you understand, that's why this chapter starts out in the year that King Uzziah died. Because in one moment with, him, with his death, brothers and sisters, all that security was now gone. And not only that, there was a big country, a big group of Assyrians starting to get a lot of power and a lot of might that was ready to come. They didn't worry too much about the Assyrians when Uzziah was king because he was such a military genius that he'd be able to protect them. But now that Uzziah was gone, they started to get a little bit worried. Brothers and sisters, sometimes... The best thing that can happen is when whatever you have your security in, if it's not God, if all of a sudden it's taken away from you, it can be a job, it can be your health, it can be a person, it can be whatever it is. But sometimes the best thing that can happen is for that to be gone so that you have no other choice but to look up and say, God, I need you. That's why you need to be very careful about who and what you're putting your security in, you see. It can all be gone. So your king, brothers and sisters, whatever it is, unless it's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that king will die. And there goes all of your security. And that's what happened right here to Isaiah. And that's what happened to Israel. Now, sometimes it's when our king dies, when that lower level king goes away, That's when we can start to get a vision of the the king of kings, you see, and the Lord of lords, you see. There's a God who's transcendent on a throne, brothers and sisters. And that's what we need to see. Now, you you hear what what he said there. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now... Isaiah was kind of given a vision here of of things that humans really aren't even supposed to see. But just like everybody else, just like everybody else in the Bible, when they kind of ask him, Tell us what you saw, Uzziah, or tell us what you saw, Isaiah, he said, I saw his robe and it filled the temple. They're like, You saw God, and all you can tell us about is his robe? Why is that, brothers and sisters? I'll tell you why it is. Because every time in the Bible when you read somebody encountered the true and living God, they hit their face on the floor and shielded themselves, brothers and sisters, so all they could see was the robe. That, that's why I get so tired of these namby pamby stories today. God came and sat with me on the side of my bed, and we had a great conversation. Brothers and sisters, when God comes, when God revealed himself to anybody, they hit the ground because you cannot look on the holiness of God. Now, we need a vision of God, brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Now, that vision usually comes to us through and by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what. Bob has said this last week. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, nobody has to tell you what it is. You know it's the Lord of Lords. You know it's the King of Kings. You know it's God Almighty. There's a lot of things in this world, brothers and sisters, that people could convince me is not real and not true. But I'll tell you, from whatever, what happened to me as a 10 year old boy, when Jesus Christ spoke to my soul, I knew it was God when he still speaks to me today. I know it's God, brothers and sisters. It's real. And that's something you cannot take away. You know it. He knew this here. But the problem today is, brothers and sisters, God has shrunk in our minds. Now it's our own kings and it's the things of the world that we put up here and God's off to the side somewhere. God's kind of like our good luck charm and our insurance policy that we want to rub the genie lamp and hope he can help us with all these other problems that really matter. As long as you approach God that way, brothers and sisters, you will never be able to serve the way he would have you to serve. God has got to be above all. You've got Your vision of God has got to be, He is the King of kings. He's on the throne, brothers and sisters. And nothing else really matters. He's above all. He rules and He overrules. And nothing is beyond His power and control to do, you see. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This, the current generation of people have no concept of God. A vision. I'm so thankful. And for all of you who were brought up in a church. That taught and preached that there is a God in heaven. Who's on the throne. Who created. Who spoke this world into existence. Who's going to take us all back home one of these days. You ought to thank God for it. That you have a vision of God like that. Again. I read something the other day. An article just popped up. And I saw it. people who, you know, who met with God. Or people's visions of God. And they had, I can't remember how many hundreds of people. And the, they were asked these questions. What is God to you? And people said, well, I like to think of God as this. I like to think of God as nature. I like to think of God as my best friend. I like to think of God as all this, that, and love, and this and that and the other. You know, brothers and sisters, as I read that through that silly, stupid article. What I thought is, it really doesn't matter what we think of God. God is who He is. He's the great I Am. He was there before we ever was. Brothers and sisters, and if you want a right picture of God, pick up the Word of God and see what it says about Him. He is. He's everlasting. He's immortal. He's infinite. We're fallible, brothers and sisters. Our thoughts of God cannot even come close to approximating what He is. We just need to fall on our face like Isaiah did and say, Woe is me. He is God. And I'm not, and neither are you. You see. And we just need to let him go. So what you know, what's your experience? I'm not just talking about your salvation. You need I hope I hope and pray. Here's one thing I will tell you. You know, we always talk about did you, have you had an experience of grace? Do you know the Lord? Have you been saved? That's an important question. So, first of all, was there a point in your life when you realized you were lost and undone? Was there a point in your life when you cried out to Lord to God and said, Lord, save me, or Lord, I need you, or whatever? It might have said you, there's no magic words. And then you felt Him take away that burden of sin. That was God. Like I've always told people when I've talked to them after they got saved, that tug you felt, that feeling in your heart, that was God. Yes. Now, here's what I will also tell you that's not just a one time feeling. <laughs> I also tell, told any young or old people I've talked to you'll feel that tug. You'll feel that Holy Spirit, that same feeling that you felt when God saved your soul. You're going to feel that throughout your life. And you always need to obey that. Always follow that because it will never lead you astray. I'm so thankful. I can't even remember right now. I think it was a couple of you. Probably my grandpa mainly gave me that little piece of advice. He said, son, always follow that and you'll be alright. I'm so thankful I've always followed that. I I can't say I've always followed that because there's been times I've done stupid things and made my own decisions. But I can tell you what, brothers and sisters, even in those stupid decisions, that still small voice was there letting me know, don't do that. And sometimes I did it anyway. And I had to come back and hit the pavement and say, God, forgive me. I have done wrong. Because you know what, brothers and sisters, once you've had that feeling, you can't do without it. And what I'll tell you is, if you've only had that one time in your life, you may not have been saved and you better go back and examine it. Because once you are his, he will not leave you alone. He will stay with you and walk with you and be with you all of your life. You are his, you see. So that's number two, the vision of God. The king dies, your security goes. What's your security and the king dies? And then number two, what's your vision of God? He's a holy transcendent God who spoke this whole world into existence. Nothing makes any sense without that. Step three is Isaiah's response up there in the fifth verse. Woe is me. That's the response. Woe is me. You know, that's not very um, acceptable in today's world. People don't want to say woe is me. People don't want to say I'm unclean. People don't want to say I'm not fit. You know, and, and that's probably why we have so many meager expressions of true Christian experience today. Brothers and sisters, what I do want to tell you is, when you do get that vision of God and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart, you feel like the dirtiest, vilest person that ever walked this earth. I don't care if you're 50 years old. I don't care if you're 6 years old. You feel dirty and you feel unclean and you say, woe is me. Because you realize God is up there perfect, holy, and infinite and I'm down here and I'm not anywhere close to that. Like Isaiah, you say, hey, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst an unclean people. I'm not fit for that. I'm in a dreadful, dreadful condition. I've tried to think of a million ways to approximate that, what that's like. The very, I've always said, we're talking about football, I've always said of any sport between pro elite level and good, really good amateur levels, I've always said the biggest difference is golf. And I, I still say that. Because I used to be able to hit a ball pretty good. Now, Tyler, Ryan, and Jared can all hit them farther than me. But I used to be able to hit a ball pretty good, and I thought I was pretty good. I'd play with those guys at work, and they, you know, we'd brag about how far we could hit it and how good we were. First time I ever went to Muirfield and watched those pros play. And so those guys hit a, a... I got there in time to see Jack Nicholas hit one off the tee. I probably stood there for five minutes with my mouth hanging open. How do you do that? How do you hit it so far, so hard, so long, so straight, time after time after time? And the, the kid I was with the one time, the first time I was up there, he's like, he's like, Tony, what would you do? If they asked you to play around with them, I said, I'd run for the clubhouse." <laughs> I said, "Because if that's a golf swing and that's what really good is, I'm not even close. I'm nothing. Brothers and sisters, that's what Isaiah saw here. He got a vision of a holy and a pure God. And he said, woe is me. I can't even come close to that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the gospel does. It comes on and shows us exactly where we are. And brothers and sisters, God is there. We are here. And there's no way to get there except that Jesus came and made a way. Jesus came and made a way, you see. That's why it is. So you see, he, there's no way. People seek meaning and purpose in everything. But there's no meaning and purpose apart from God. You know, I've been humming as I've been thinking of this message. I've been humming that the song, Diana Ross song from 1975. You know, do you know where you're going to? Do you like the things that life is showing you? Got the year right, there, my I, guys? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Jerry Goffin wrote it too. Look at that one. Up. I'm pretty so at some of those things too. Anyway. The other thing, guys, to remember with that is that the pe- there's people in this world. They put on a suit. They put on a dress. Some of them come to church week after week after week. But they have no idea where they're going to. They have no idea what life is showing to them. They have no purpose. They found some religious activity in a church. They come in, they carry the book, they march the march, they sing the song, and they still have no idea. And that's bad. And there's another group of people, who, and you can find it in a lot of today's, more, especially today's music, which is kind of like life's a bad joke. It doesn't really matter. We're here, just enjoy life while you're here. Live it to the best. Live it to the fullest, because tomorrow we die. The ship's going down, and we're all going with it. You know, in some sense, that's easier to deal with than what Isaiah saw. You see, that's the two kind of world views you finally got to get to. The one world view says there is no God. This is all meaningless. We just kind of evolved from some kind of little muck in a pond. And we're all going to die and go back to the dirt. And that's it. So live it up and enjoy it while you're here and do whatever you want. The other part says, there is a God in heaven who created us. And therefore he rules and overrules. Because you see now what you what Isaiah saw, brothers and sisters. He saw a God on the throne and he says, there is meaning and purpose. And because of my condition, I'm not fit for that. I'm not part of that. And there's, he, I think he also realized there was nothing he could do himself to make himself part of that. Nothing. He said, I'm a man of uncleanness. That's the, that's the fourth step. He realized his uncleanness. Kind of hit on that a little bit already. It, it says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why lips? The lips represents our conversation, our life, the heart, our heart and our will. Kind of, you know, kind of represents what's coming out. How we, Don't think of it as just what you say. But think of it also as how you live. Like I said earlier, there's so many people who attend worship. They're seeking after happiness, peace, and purpose. And they're not getting it. Maybe some of you are like that here today. And you think, I just need to try a little bit harder. I just need to read my Bible a little bit more. I just need to give a little bit more. The next time when, when Bob and, and the groups call for volunteers, I just need to volunteer a little bit more. No, that's not the answer. That is not the answer at all, brothers and sisters. You can't, it's not just about how much you try and you put it together. If I just had a little more faith, that's not the answer either. How much faith is enough faith? Doesn't have to be much. It could be a mustard grain from what the Bible tells us but it's the right kind of faith in the right place. You see, it really matters. Those people who think just coming to church and going through the motions and doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm okay, I'm kind of religious, you're heading down the wrong road and you're just as lost and just as confused as somebody who never darkens a church door. Brothers and sisters, let's not ever confuse. Let's not ever confuse church and religious activities for a genuine experience of an encounter with an almighty God. And you see, when we come here, brothers and sisters, when we gather on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights, what we ought to come waiting for is not who do I get to see. Some people love the club and the social part of church. That's why they're part of it. Oh, I love all my friends are there and I love being there because all those people I care so much about. That's good. I like you too. But that's not why I come. I don't come because I like you. In fact, I love you, but that's still not why I come. I come, brothers and sisters, because every time I walk through that door, I want to experience the true and living God. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. You know, I made the comment the other night in the class about, you know, well, sometimes people just say, well, we should do whatever we feel. There's been a lot of times I didn't feel like walking through that church house door on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. But there's been a lot of those same times when I walk through that door and I walked out of here saying, thank God I came because I got a little taste of the Almighty. I got a little glimpse of God and it made all the difference in the world. We come here, brothers and sisters, so we can experience God and worship God. It's not to exalt each other. It's not to pamper each other. It's not to play church. But it's we come to experience God. Amen. And any other reason you come for is the wrong reason. It's all about Him. Mm -hmm. It's not about us. Seraphim got the coal... And he brought it and he put it to Isaiah's lips. And he said, you're clean. He says, your guilt's taken away. Your sin's been atoned for. Do Do you remember, if you've been born again, do you remember what that felt like? If you have been saved, do you remember when you've gone astray and you went your own way? And finally, when that voice keeps tugging you back, you hit the ground and you say, God, forgive me, I need you. Do you remember what it feels like when the hand of God comes in? I always think about, I kind of think what Isaiah felt. I always think of the great, good old, great McKamey song. Do you know how it feels? Mm -hmm. When your cold heart is melted, Tears started flowing the moment you felt it. Brothers and sisters, when you've been touched by God, you know it. And it's not just at salvation, brothers and sisters. If you're not experiencing that touch of God as you go through your life, something is wrong. You see, brothers and sisters, God's got something for you to do wherever you're at. And if you're not experiencing that touch of God, how are you ever going to show Christ to those people around you? It ain't going to happen. It will not work. A clean heart. Is not possible without that divine surgery. He's got to work on us time and time again. When He touches you, brothers and sisters, He changes you. He makes everything different. He changes everything about you. You're His. For His purpose. Set apart for that style. Step five, the possibility of serving. If you look, go down there to the sixth verse. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You see, you can't hear what God's actually telling you to do or want you to do until you've been touched by God, until you've experienced God. So it's, you, can, you can come in the church and you can be involved in every activity there is and still not be doing what God has told you to do or what God really wants you to do so many people and as long as you're feeling empty inside that's probably a good chance that you're on that same path and we sometimes we have n- little more to say if, we, if we're not experiencing God ourselves. we have little more to say to people than, just try to be a little more religious read your Bible a little bit more pray a little bit more you'll be alright that's not necessarily true he said who shall I send who shall I send He heard, he saw a need, he heard it, he heard it. Now again, I don't think he was talking about necessarily, when we think about, we always say that, who shall I send? God wants to send me on a mission trip. God wants me to go here. God wants me to go there. That might be true in some point, but did you ever think God's got you where you live for a reason? Maybe he wants you to start being a servant to him in, in your home. Maybe he wants you to start being a servant to him when, where you work, where you go to school, with the people you hang around, your friends. Be in that example. If you don't do that, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if he sends you a Timbuktu. You won't be any effective there either. In fact, some for some people, that's just an escape. To get away from what God really wants them to do. People will go to the far ends of the earth. To get away from what God really wants them to do. And oh, look at me. I'm over here in the far ends of China. On a mission trip. Look how great I am. That might not be great. If God wanted you to do something right here at your home. And you're not doing it. We get that confused. And we get that messed up. So basically he said. He heard the voice of God. There was a possibility of service. And then the final step, that step six, he offered himself. He offered himself. He says, "Here I am. Send me." You know, when I looked at different some of the different Hebrew translations of some of those words, ba- the, the basic phrase that he says is "here, I, you know, here I am." That's really what he's saying. But it also can be twisted to a little bit of interpretation, kind of like a "will I do." God showed him a great need. Isaiah had just been cleansed and touched. And I think he said, well, I do. I'm here. Well, I do. What's God show? What's the means that God's showing you? And you know what? If if your reaction is, "Well, well, look, I'm ready for that. God's put me over there. I'm so confident and wonderful and great that I can go take care of that with no problem at all. No, that's the wrong approach. Because we realize who God is and who we are. Lord, will I do? Lord, send me. I can't do anything, Lord. But if you're in it, some good can come of it. And again, brothers and sisters, please. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about taking pamphlets and putting them on every house in this neighborhood. I'm not talking about knocking on every door that you come around and telling people about Jesus. I'm not talking about going to Booga Booga Land on a five-year mission trip. I'm talking about serving God where He has put you. You can start that right now. All of you are going to leave and go home or somewhere right now. Will you start serving God right now? You're all going to get up and you're going to be at home tomorrow. You're going to go to school. You're going to go to work. You might go to this or that. Will you serve God right then? I have people ask me, well, what does that mean, Tony? Does that mean I take my Bible and I go around desk to desk and tell everybody about Jesus? God knows. And if you do that, I hope they fire you and send you home. Because you're there to work. Well, what does that mean then, Tony? What it means is being honest. Being genuine, being truthful, working hard, and being diligent, and being what what God would have you to be. And when you do that, brothers and sisters, and you say, God, I'm here, and I want to do my best to serve you, it means not talking about all the people around you. It means being open and honest and true. And when you do that, brothers and sisters, here's what will happen. It's happened to me. Every once in a while, you'll get a little knock on your door. Tony, can I talk to you? Something just ain't right. I still remember one of the first times that happened to me, probably 15 years ago. And a lady came in and talked to me and tell me how she was raised Catholic. She's like, something's missing. I'm like, I didn't even ask her. I said, what are you talking to me for? She's because you've got something that I need. So I don't know how you do it. I told her a little bit. She, I hadn't seen her for years, probably five or six years after that. She came up to me with a big smile on her face. She said,
1: "I got saved."
0: Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have it. I had very little to do with that. Very little to do with that. But brothers and sisters, you know what? I might have had a little piece. And if that little piece with God was all God ever had for me to do, it was worth it. I could have been in preaching and in a hundred churches, but if I hadn't done exactly what God wanted me to do there, I would be failing. We're always looking for the big project. We're always looking for the big thing. Serve God where He's put you. My grandpa pastored this church for a year or two before he died. He never did a whole lot of great, great things. My grandma, a great godly woman, never did a whole lot of great, great things. My mom, smartest woman I ever knew, struggled pretty much her whole life and was sick a lot at the end of it but the, you know what? They had a little bit of a purpose. They taught Tony Edwards about Jesus Christ. So you know what? They were a huge success to me, praise God. And if nobody else in the world knows their name, God Almighty is faking them right now for what He did for me. It's that little thing, brothers and sisters, that matters. Serving God where He's put you. You see. So where are you? Where are you today? Is your king dead? Where's your security at? Is it in God? What's your vision of God? Is He above all, beyond all? Or are you just using Him as a means to get what you want in this world? What's your your condition? Is it one of despair? When you you encounter God, do you bow down or do you stand up against Him? Isaiah said, woe is me. And then the cleansing. Yes, brothers and sisters, we get saved. And once you're saved, you're always saved. But you know what, brothers and sisters? We sin and we come short. And there's a way of repentance. We need to to confess those sins to God. Otherwise, we're not going to see what what He would have us to do. We're not going to be able to serve. And then that possibility of service possibility of service you know in fact and that's one of the reasons I've said so many times within the church you know there's, there's certain, so many things we need and if we're having trouble getting people to be the, this group director that group director maybe we don't need that group we need teaching we need some of the basics but here's why I say that. I'm not sitting, trying to be mean and say get rid of all the extra stuff we have sometimes all that extra stuff can cloud up what we really need which is to get real with God In fact, you can get so busy running this group and running that group and doing this meeting and doing that meeting that you don't really have time for God. And you can think you're being religious. Look how much I'm doing in the church. And people will pat you on the back. Boy, you serve so much. We're so grateful. You do so much for the church. That's good. But where's your heart for God? Are you getting time alone with Him? You see, that's important. The offering of yourself. Young people, listen to me real quick. Before I close, all of you that are here, and the young is relevant. Your hopes and your dreams, whatever you got—I had a lot of them. Still, some of you might be a little bit past some of those dreams, but we all have hopes and dreams. Hold on to them because those are there for a reason. God equips you and gives you talents for a reason. Hold on to them and don't let them go. But, brothers and sisters. Behind all of it, around all of it, over all of it, you need to see God. There's a transcendent God who's on the throne, brothers and sisters. And sometimes those, He might use your dreams to put you exactly where He wants. Other times He might say, no, that's not this dream. I've got something different for you. And instead of kicking against the pricks like, like Saul did, brothers and sisters, for so long, watch if you're in the place where you're experiencing God, you'll say, Lord, and what I do there, send me there. It doesn't matter if it's in Timbuktu. It doesn't matter if it's in the biggest church in the world. It doesn't matter if it's only serving in my home. That Lord, let me do it. Whatever that role is, however big or small, God, let me do it, you see. Quit looking around and look up. There's needs all around us. God needs you. He's put you, if you're his, his, he's put you where you're at for a reason. But so many times, brothers and sisters, we're so aggravated about where we're at and what's going on around us. We're looking for the next step that we miss so many opportunities and blessings where we're at. God rules, he overrules. You're there for a reason. Do you think Joseph wanted to be in that Egyptian prison? No. But you don't read that. You know what it said? But God was with Joseph in that prison. And Joseph found favor. That's what you want to find. You want to find favor. Favor with God and favor with men wherever you're at. It's possible, brothers and sisters, if you're willing to bow down and you're willing to serve. Brother Mike, do you get a verse of a psalm, if you're here this morning, I don't know where you're at in any of those phases. Maybe you've been saved. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't been saved, you need to make that decision and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have been saved, maybe you've just been your own king. You've been doing your own thing. I pray that God will call you back and that you hit your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to taste you again. Lord, I need to see you again. Lord, I've got hopes and I've tried to do this, but Lord, wherever You will put me, I'll do my best to serve You.
1: Amen.
0: While we stand and same, whatever God's got on your heart. <laughs>